Black Tree Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black Tree Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And welcome to Black True Crime. If this is your first time here at the show, friend, welcome and hello. You already know what's good. <laughs> we're really excited to be back this week. We both feel like caca on a stick, but it's okay because we're going to get through it. Period. I literally have to sneeze, but I'm going to hold it in for you guys. <laughs> Before we get started with this week's case, which I feel like is a little bit of a longer one, we'll see how it goes. We are going on tour, but you know that. We've been saying it for like umpteen bajillion years. We're going on tour, y'all. Please get your tickets March 1st. Is it March 1st the last time to do it? Yes, March 1st is the last day uh, to get your tickets. We also have created an option for you guys to use Klarna. So Klarna will let you guys pay for your tickets and for um, installments. So you don't have to pay for everything up front. Kind of makes it easier for you guys to get them. And yeah, remember, we want to keep these um, shows for the first time. We want to keep it pretty intimate. So for some of these locations, there's only like four or five tickets left. So you guys got to get on it. And I'll include a link in the episode description for you guys to go ahead and get those tickets. Yes. Get your little tickets via Klarna, period. I don't even think they credit check. They No, I don't think they do that. Okay. <laughs> Sister, are you ready to get started? Let's do this. In 1997, a man called into the Howard Stern show claiming that he was responsible for a series of murders that occurred in New Orleans between 1991 and 1995. Over two dozen murders that the public had barely heard about because the police refused to tell them. To this day, many of the victims have gone unidentified and most of these cases have remained unsolved. So join us this week as we discuss the elusive unidentified killer dubbed the Storyville Slayer. Ooh, Kayla. It's giving already. Yes, yes it is. Kristen! What do you have for us in regards to Black History on the first day of Black History Month? Period. So, this will be airing on the second day of Black History Month. But either way, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have created a little ode to BHM and I've called it Timeline of the Struggle and the Strength of Our Beautiful Black Folk. Come on a journey with us mm. as we head to the 1520s. One of the first attempts to colonize the Americas was led by a Spaniard who actually brought his black slave named Estebanico and 300 others to do some reconnaissance on land stretching from Florida all the way to the West. If not for Estebanico and his talent for learning new languages and relating to the indigenous folks, who knows if the Spaniards would have been able to escape the six years of enslavement that the indigenous mm. folks um, enslaved them to or would have ever made it to their fellow Spaniard men waiting for them in Mexico. So, yes, Spaniards were actually captured by the indigenous folks and had to be their slaves for six years. But before I talk more, let's travel to 1624. 
Before we were slaves, some of us were kings and queens in different lands. All the way in Ndongo, which is present-day Angola, Queen Ana Najinga was fighting off attempts by the Portuguese to colonize her land. After two years of fighting, Queen Najinga was forced to flee to a nearby kingdom, Matamba, which she became queen over as well, period. period. She fought fiercely against the Portuguese there and provided a shelter for runaway slaves. By the time she passed in 1663, she made peace with Portugal and Matamba traded with that country as equals. Mm -hmm. Well, for as long as they could, but we all know what mm -hmm. happens in later times. So come on with me to 1849. Harriet Tubman went from enslaved to escaped to a conductor of freedom. Harriet utilized an already constructed underground railroad created by black and white abolitionists in the early 1800s to help runaway slaves to freedom. Her record was owed to none as she was never caught and she, was, and she never lost a passenger. Baby. Thanks to her efforts and many black and white abolitionists who lost their lives, come with me to 1865 where we finally achieved a glimpse of freedom through Juneteenth, when the Emancipation Proclamation was enforced by federal troops after three years of being signed into law. Yes, sir! Such a similar delay has been experienced through all of Black history, y'all, still having to endure segregation and Jim Crow laws, discrimination via unequal pay in the workforce to the point where the government had to create an entire commission that encouraged employers to hire Black folks and minorities as a, at a higher rate than what was being seen. So we thank mm -hmm. you to Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, Elizabeth Jennings, B.B. King, and many more. Without the likes of you, we would not be able to rock our Nike fits and our beautiful array of lace fronts, silk presses, and curly cues. Without you, we wouldn't be able to cut up in the streets, milliwop on the dance floor, <laughs> make six-figure incomes, or simply call a melanin-lacking individual our BFF for life. We honor you. We honor Black folk. And we honor the people who are still fighting for freedom today. Stacey Abrams, Amanda Gorman, Sandra Lindsay, Victor Glover, Barack Obama, Rosalind Brewer, and many more. Thank you. And happy Black History Month, y'all. That was so good. Oh, Thanks. I'm so proud to be a Black American. <laughs> <laughs> that was so, so good. Period. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Happy Black History Month to many, many, many more. Awesome. We are awesome. Don't yes. you ever forget. Yes. And we struggle every day, but we get a day every day. You know, we're still here and and we're blessed to be. So. Amen. I'm, that was amazing, sister. Thank you so much for that. I mean, yellow brick golden roll trip <laughs> down history lane. <laughs> no problem. Now we have to talk about hell mm. we're going to hell now let's get into it Ugh. okay in july of 1991 an unidentified black woman was kidnapped strangled and left for dead in the new orleans area fortunately she survived this attack but this near-death experience would mark the beginning of many murders committed against black women in the area okay this is why i'm going to be upset mm -hmm. i am a black woman you are we are they are so many that the police felt it was almost impossible for one person to be responsible for all of these vicious attacks. And the hunt for the one or ones responsible began. Okay. Well, it didn't really begin because we're going to get, we're going to talk about it. We don't like the cops, but I feel like we've said that before. 
we have. They are very slow when it comes to criminal cases against our people. So more than 25 women would lose their lives in a similarly brutal way between the summer of 1991 and 1995. All of the victims were black women and were between the ages of 17 and 47 years old when they died. And most of them were considered to be in the line of sex work and may have had a drug issue as well. Dang. Like, why is the target always weak-minded? Because Mm. they are going through things and therefore people target our black girls. I think it's unfair to call them weak-minded. I just think they're like in a space in their life that they're doing things that, you know, aren't accepted by society and that makes them more vulnerable that's what i meant to say vulnerable Mm -hmm. and that pisses me off yeah me too the majority of these women were strangled to death while some were beaten violently and drowned in rivers and canals along the western shores of lake lord help me ponchar train so we're just going to call it lake ponty going forward i'm not doing all that there's a causeway that goes across this lake and if you're on patreon i'm going to put the picture up so this is like a picture of the lake and then there's the causeway. Um, and a causeway, if you're not really familiar, is like a long road basically that goes across the river. Ooh. Mm-hmm. They have them in Clearwater and you know, mm-hmm. St. Pete, all those types of where water is. It was a pretty isolated area. So no one was really going like under and around the causeway in the water looking for bodies or like anything like that. So many women that were put there were left in water for weeks to even years before they were ever found. Wow, and there goes all the evidence. Yep. Because of this, a lot of victims were so badly decomposed by the time they were found, some were never able to be identified. And it's just heartbreaking. Not only were you killed against your will, you your family won't even really know what happened to you. Nope. Now, from what we know so far, I already think there are two different killers and I feel like I could be wrong my mind kind of changes as we go on but I just wanted to be transparent with you guys because both MOs involve constricting the victims you know breathing until they died but we usually see killers stick to one technique like for lack of a better word that works for them so right now because some were said to have drowned and some were said to have just been strangled I can understand why the police thought that there were two people responsible. So let's go back to the woman that almost died in July of 1991. She was only ever referred to as Brenda publicly. So that's what we're going to call her. Thankfully, Brenda survived this attack and reported it to the police. And she told them she got into the car of a man she didn't know that night in Algiers. And after talking with him briefly, the man started to strangle her until she was unconscious and then just threw her out of the car onto the street. Okay. She was able to provide police with a description of her attacker, which was the following. A muscular, well-dressed, middle-aged black man who drove a dark-colored vehicle that she said could have been a Buick Regal or a Chevrolet Monte Carlo. So I have a picture of both cars. I kind of just wanted to give you guys an idea of what she was talking about. So that's a Buick Regal. Okay, not cute. (laughs) But maybe it was like the thing back then. And then that's the Chevy Monte Carlo. I would drive that. The Chevy's hot. No shade. So this sucks once again because the stereotypes about, you know, prostitutes or women that walk the strip, they say, mm-hmm. don't get into the car with the black man. Yeah. This gives that. And that yeah. really sucks. But at the same time, they're probably not wrong based off of the experiences that they've had on the streets. Mm-hmm. Like even to this day, you know, if we watch Soft Underbelly, a lot of women would say, you know, they don't like to get in cars with black men because they're usually violent and it fucking sucks 
Yep. Or they're pimps. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't long after Brenda's attack that police would be called back to the area where Brenda had been abducted. And this was to the murder scene of 17-year-old Danielle Britton. On August 4th, Danielle's body was found in a ditch and she'd been covered up with trash just to violate her even further. And the autopsy determined that Danielle had been beaten and then strangled to death. Wow. No respect. Mm -mm. So it's clear that Brenda's attack and Danielle's murder are connected in some way, especially since they occurred literally almost in the same area. Right, that part. And I'm assuming the 17-year-old may have been a streetwalker as well. So I was just about to say that. So Danielle was last seen in New Orleans at a bar with an unidentified man. And although she had dropped out of school shortly before then, she, there was no evidence to show that she was a sex worker or that she was even into drugs. Mm. So it may just have been like a, you know, she just met a guy because she was looking for someone and met the wrong one. Oh, Danielle. Yeah. Almost exactly one month later, 21-year-old mother of three, Tierra Tassin, was found murdered. And police said she had a prior criminal record involving drug possession. So I'm kind of just pointing this out because police are trying to... Police aren't trying to do shit at this point, but later on, they're going to try to pinpoint how the killer was targeting the victims. So, you know, and it's looking like they are going to a specific area where they know they can find women that are living seedier lives and that may not be considered, may not be reported missing by their families. Right, right. Throwaways is what they would probably consider yeah. them. Mm-hmm. 18 days later, 28-year-old Charlene Price was found beaten and strangled in a New Orleans park, which was located one mile away from where Danielle Britton was found. Like, dang, Kaylee's not even trying to go anywhere else but this location. Mm-mm. And part of me feels like there's a confidence behind this person, right? They're either super comfortable in this area or super confident they won't get caught. Which is just like, why? Because if the standard of today matched back then, mm -hmm. these girls should have known, don't play with no man out in these streets. Especially I mean, when it looks like he's muscular and could handle himself. But at the same time, what if he looked like he had money? You know, what if he looked yeah. like he could provide for them or something that, they, that appealed to them? So both Tierra and Charlene had a history of drug use, but neither were confirmed to be involved in sex work. It wouldn't be until November 21st, 1991, that 37-year-old Regina Oko was found strangled, and the autopsy would show that she also had a large amount of cocaine in her system at the time, which could have led to an overdose. So it was enough for her to definitely overdose on. Okay. Her official cause of death wasn't listed, but she had clear signs of being strangled. And you can deduce that either way, her murder was caused by someone else. Period. And we're going to say rest in peace to all these beautiful women. You know, there's just so many that I need to get through. And I, I will save it for after I say all of their names. Oh, this is hard. It's a lot. It's it gets very shocking if it's not already. So Regina was also a mother. She had three children and she also had a past of being arrested for sex work related crimes. You know, got to get it how you live. Oh, and and they know like it's this can be very dangerous this type of lifestyle this type oh, yeah. of job but at the same time people in the oil field that are oil rigging and stuff like that get paid muchos knowing it's a dangerous type of job so we're not shaming them for what they're doing absolutely not they are you know she has kids a lot of them have had kids and you know you gotta provide for them the way you can shit and mcdonald's is just not gonna cut it for some of these women 
It's just not going to cut it, Kristen. A couple weeks later, on December 14th, the skeletal remains of a woman labeled Jane Doe Number 1 were found in a ditch near Lake Ponte. So it was like near the highway that kind of flows through Lake Ponte, that causeway. Mm-hmm. Her remains were found not far from where Danielle Britton's body was found. And although medical examiners noted that the victim had pretty defining characteristics, so like she had big, I don't want to say buck teeth, but like I can say that because I have buck teeth. They felt like people would, you know, remember and know who she was, but no one to this day have come forward to identify her. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. And Jane Doe was strangled to death as well. They so. can tell from skeletal remains that she was strangled to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that so means the... this dude has been working for a very, for a long time. I know water can do its work on mm-hmm. body to like decompose it, but still skeletal remains, that's at least a few months in the water. Yeah. And I was re- I was watching this show called, I think it was Cold Case Files, and they were talking about the hyoid bone like in your neck. And if it's broken a certain way, you can tell that it's it was broken by force which Mm -hmm. suggests that the victim was strangled so that's probably how they're able to tell that's neat on january 4th 1992 29 year old lydia madison was found strangled to death in a ditch under a highway overpass in the lake ponte area so this criminal killer is just hopscotching through lake ponte like they they live two feet away and just using it as their work as their playground yeah yeah, they either, to me, they either live in this area or work in this area. Mm-hmm. And Lydia, too, had a history of sex work and drug abuse on her criminal record. So, like I said, let's, I want to make this very clear if I didn't already. I don't care what the hell these women were doing. They didn't deserve to be taken out like this. This is horrible. Yes, absolutely. So, almost five months later, to the date, on June 2nd, police found 25-year-old George Williams's body in the LaBranch. Probably said that wrong. Sorry, y'all. New Orleans people. LeBranche, maybe. Wetlands are that are in the St. Charles Parish. So their body was located almost an hour from the area of the other victims. Okay. And I say they because I think George identified as a trans woman. Um, I believe I saw that they worked as an exotic dancer at a nightclub. Mm-hmm. So I'm not dead naming George. I wasn't able to find if George went by another name just so y'all don't fucking attack me. I didn't even know what dead naming meant, but okay. Trust me, I have been checked on the show because I didn't know that you're not, like once someone changes, you know, who they are, you're supposed to call them the name that they've chosen, but I couldn't find the name that George chose. What I was gonna say is, what the heck? Why is this now an hour away from where his normal dumping site is? Did he go on a business trip? What happened for him to go an hour away from the original sites where he was doing his work so when i was thinking about that because it happens again you know i was like okay maybe there are two killers right but if i kind of put that ideal aside maybe the person is visiting family maybe the person is it around a holiday you know is it around somebody's birthday in that person's family or in you know in that person's life so i was like maybe it's just dates significant to the actual killer that takes them away from the area when they're done I think that's a great point to make because we have to remember, like, these killers, they're also people. So they actually do have a life outside of them killing. They just happen to kill as well. So he could literally be living his life in tandem with murdering women. Exactly. It's disgusting. Yeah, horrifying. Horrible. And they deserve hell. 
So George had a criminal history involving robbery and drug possession on their record as well and was considered to be a drug addict by people close to them. So, you know, everyone has their struggles. And like I said, it doesn't mean someone should take your life for it. No, but there's a clear MO. So I'm feeling like, oh boy, has trauma with somebody who's a drug addict, has trauma with maybe sex workers. Like something is really penetrated him for him to continue to go for these type of people or maybe they're just the easier option like you said nobody will be looking for them i think it's most definitely the easier option at this point on july 25th 33 year old noah filson was found in a canal near i-55 and that's near the causeway that goes across lake ponty noah identified as trans as well and went by the name brenda bewitch when they were working at nightclubs so i'm not sure if the killer is purposefully you know targeting trans women but either way they are targeting black people that identify as or at least presenting as women fast forward to september 21st so just a little under two months later regiter martin i'm gonna spell it for you r-e-g-g-e-t-t-e-r that's the name she was found murdered in the waters of a canal near a highway and she was a mother of three it's a lot of mothers of three here, which is pretty crazy. It's horrible. And she had a history of sex work along with some other arrests on her record. It's sus that like this canal, this Lake Ponty is literally like in the the middle of it all. Yeah. And I think the location of where the bodies are being put, like it's always near water or it's, mm-hmm. you know, in a swampy area or something like that. We know New Orleans has a lot of those types of environments where they are. And because there's so many, I feel like a lot of people don't go into those areas to look or, you know, to even enjoy themselves because who wants to go into like some swampy, dirty water? Mm -hmm. And that's why the killer is so comfortable putting the women there. Yeah. He probably thinks, okay, gators will just eat them up. You know, nobody's going in that water. The water will take care of the evidence for me. It's very possible. And one pattern I had noticed so far is that almost all of these women have been arrested at least once. And it made me think like, okay, does the killer have a connection to law enforcement? Like, are they targeting these women because they know they're easy to find? Or, you know, they know that they don't have family members that would technically come and look for them because they were never really bailed out by family members, you know? Like, right, I feel like, like maybe they're being hunted and not just a driving around type of way, but like a systematic premeditated what? tracker. Mm-hmm. 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 So who knows, Kristen? Like, what the fuck? We we know that these cases have not been solved. I'll tell you guys that now, but we're going to talk about some people that are suspected of being involved. Mm-hmm. So because there are so many women that have lost their lives, I don't want to describe every single instant of how they died and all that type of stuff. So, But I do want to say all of their names because they fucking matter. So we're just going to kind of speed this part up a little bit so I can make sure we get to everyone. So the skeletal remains of 30-year-old Cheryl Lewis were found on February 20th, 1993 in a canal near Hanville, which isn't too far from the LaBranche wetlands, where George was found eight months earlier. She was last seen getting in the car with a white man on February 2nd, and the very next day, 42-year-old Dolores Mack was found in the water not too far from Cheryl, and she'd been strangled to death as well. Back to back back to back right like not right next to each other but basically right next to each other so you can kind of think that either they were murdered in tandem like at the same time or very close to each other and this is like time frame and he's getting so brazen where he's not even trying to find a new site 
to put the body. He's like, nope, I'll just go back to where I put the first one. Nobody's going to catch me. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that it was noted that one of the victims was last seen with one of the, you know, victims that didn't survive was last seen with someone. And it was a white man. Brenda was attacked by a black man. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's where they think two people were acted. And even with the whole trans, like all of a sudden the switcher, I mean, the killer switching up and now killing trans women. Like Mm -hmm. that for me is like that could have messed with my head as a detective. Like, are these two things correlated or are they not? Well, in my head, I don't think the trans women and, you know, there was no difference to the killer because these trans women were presenting as women. Mm -hmm. So he probably just at first glance was like, oh, that's a woman, you know, no big deal. And something else I wanted to know is that a lot of these women were never like sexually assaulted. You know, they weren't raped or anything like that. So it makes me really confused as to what the reasoning was behind killing these women. That's a good note to make Mm -hmm. because we're used to that. We're used to if they're coming for sex workers, you know what they're coming for. They want some sex. But he didn't do that. Or like control, you know, because a lot of sexually violent crimes are more so done because the killer wants power or control over their victim but yeah or even like the man that we talked about who was out here literally defiling dead bodies via sex he just wanted the sex as a man like that part of you is disgustingly loud so to hear that this dude well we don't know if he's a guy yet but this killer is not defiling his victims in that way that is like huge it's a he it's, okay. it's giving well, he, girl. It's giving he, but I'm just saying for the detectives, they don't. Do they know? They feel like it's definitely a man because women can't pick up a woman's body and then transport. Well, they think women can't. You know, most women can't pick up a whole dead body and transport it to a river or water or, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Dolores would be the last body that police would find until early 1994. So they believed that the killer was still murdering women, but was just getting better at hiding the bodies. It wasn't until February 5th, 1994, that the skeletal remains of Jane Doe number two were found in St. John the Baptist Parish. She was said to have been between the ages of 25 and 35 at the time of her death, but in a turn of events, she was found to be raped. So this is the first victim that we have seen, and the only victim that we will see that had been raped before she died and it sucks that we don't know who the fuck she is maybe if we knew who she was it would be easier to kind of pinpoint maybe who attacked her right like she could have known the killer in some way exactly exactly jane doe number three was found five days later and was said to have been between the ages of 15 and 17 at the time of her death and she remains unidentified to this day as well oh on february 13th 25-year-old Stephanie Murray was found dead in a small pond near the Bonnet Bonnet Carree spillway. Two days later, the skeletal remains of Jane Doe number four were found. Jeez Louise. I told you, it's gonna, it's really shocking how many people have lost her. The sheer number of victims is just terrifying me right now. And it's honestly pissing me off because I'm like, at what point is the police catching on? Kristen, we're going to get to it. They make me fully want to vomit 
and cause a riot. On April 2nd, two skeletal remains were found in the canals, with one being determined to be male and the other female. So we don't know if the male was a trans woman or how they were, but like biologically, they claimed that it was male and female. Mm -hmm. And they were never identified either. And due to the extreme de decomposition, they were just named Jane Doe number five and John Doe number one. Good God. So at this point in the case, we're at 17 dead victims. Just how does the whole city not know? How is everyone not locking their doors? How is this not on every news channel in the fucking area? Yeah, like why aren't you even putting something out so the people that are our street workers can even know? Okay, be extra vigilant. Be extra careful. <coughs> they don't care. <coughs> on July 3rd, 32-year-old Michelle Foster was found dead. She'd only been reported missing for a few days before her body was found. So I don't know when she was killed between that time, but it was hopefully quick. Well, at least somebody reported her missing. Yes, her family did report her missing. On October 19th, the skeletal remains of 28-year-old Stephanie Brown were found in a wooded area near a Bridge City Highway. And Stephanie had no criminal record or no known run-ins with the law. Now, Bridge City is like a good three to four hours away from Lake Pawnee, the Lake Pawnee area. So either the killer is like spreading his wings or it's possible Stephanie was killed by someone else. Who knows? We don't know. Okay. On January 22nd, 1995, the body of 29-year-old mother of three, Wanda Ford, was found in a swamp near I-55. So we're back in the Lake Ponte area. Wanda did have a history of drug abuse and had been arrested multiple times in association with this. She's back on, on track. Back on the yeah. MO. Yeah. The very next day, 39-year-old Sandra Warner's body was found in St. John the Baptist Parish. And two days later, on January 25th, 25-year-old Henry Calvin, who'd been reported missing four months, was found as well. Henry, as in a man? Mm -hmm. Yes, but we don't know if he was... Transgender or not. Correct. Fast forward to March 24th, Jane Doe, number six, who was later identified as Linda uh, D. Benedetto, was found under an overpass in Tangi Pahoa Parish. What the... Hey, man, I'm not mad. It's just a lot of letters. We all know New Orleans is a little funky. It's when a it colorful comes to place. The, yeah, it's a very colorful mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Tangi Pahoa Parish, which is about an hour from Lake Ponte on the other side of the water. So La Branche and St. John is on like the southern side of Lake Ponte. And then if you go across the causeway, Tangi, Tangi's over there. Okay. And the Jane Doe. I'm sorry, she's not Jane Doe anymore. Linda was estimated to be between 25 and 35 years old when she died. On April 30th, 30-year-old... 30 oh girl, we're almost there. It's, I told you, this is disgusting. And no police have done anything to figure out who freaking did this. Kristen, little to absolutely nothing. On April 30th, 30-year-old 30 Karen Evester and 28-year-old Sharon Robinson were found in a swampy part of the water near I-55. Autopsy showed that Karen had been strangled to death while Sharon had been beaten and strangled, but she had water in her lungs. So the autopsy concluded that her actual cause of death was drowning. So when I saw this, I was like, okay, it doesn't seem like the killer purposely, purposefully drowned her. It just seems like he beat her, he strangled her, he thought she was dead and put her in the water. Mm -hmm. And this this is the only victim that actually drowned. So remember at the beginning I said, oh, some of them drowned, some of right. them were... You know, yeah, that's clearly not the case. And now it makes me feel like, okay, these killers 
or all of this may be done by one person. Yeah. Oh, and not to mention, Karen Evester was a white woman. Oh. Mm-hmm. I will show you a picture of her. Karen was just a friend of Sharon Robinson. I don't know if they were out in these streets, you know, doing sketchy stuff together. I don't know, but I know that they were friends. They were friends. So is it possible that he could have literally killed them both at the same time? Yeah, and we're going to get to that. These two murders are definitely connected, and police feel like they know who's responsible. They feel like they know who's responsible even to this day. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a foreshadow I don't understand. You're not going to. It's going to make you mad once we get to it. Okay. Yeah, no spoilers here. I'm not going to tell you. Okay, let's just get there. And on May 6, 1995, 39-year-old Sandra Williams was found strangled to death on a New Orleans boulevard. So, okay, I'm about to say, is ahead. this near the Lake Ponte? Um, I don't know. It wasn't, I didn't find that distinction in the research. So at this point in the case, this is the last murder that the police think the killer committed. Mm-hmm. Even though they found the remains of 39-year-old Lola Porter on April 8th, 1996. And upon further investigating, they found that she'd actually been missing since 1992. And according to her family, she was living with a white male at the time she went missing. Okay. This is and very shortly, interesting. And shortly after she went missing, he also vanished. So, not looking good. So, we really only have one victim saying that they were strangled by a black man in a whatever type of car. And then we have another victim, or at least witnesses saying that last right. time they saw this victim, she was with mm-hmm. a white male. Correct. So, we really don't they- know who the heck is doing this no and because the first victim survived that's the only reason we have any inkling that it was a black man and she also provided like i said a description of him and they drew up a sketch so i'm going to show you guys that sketch in a little bit so of course it wasn't until may 1st of 1995 when the white woman was murdered that they put a task force together to start investigating these cases you gotta be kidding me Flip every table in the room. It's just the corniest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Kristen, everything is corny to you. Everything. It doesn't matter. If it's bad, it's corny. It's corny because it's just like, what are we doing? Like, I just don't understand, especially when there's probably, like you said, New Orleans back in the 90s. Okay, the demographic may not be what we see in everywhere else, like Indiana, for example. So mm-hmm. it's like you could at least cater to the community a bit more than what you're doing now. So they worked. So this task force was like made up of New Orleans Police Department members, other surrounding affected parishes. They have their own little like police department. They were in it. And then the FBI was in it as well. And in August of 95, Chief Richard Pennington held a press conference announcing who they felt was their prime suspect. It was a man named Victor Gant, or Gaunt, however you want to pronounce that. So not much is known about Victor's early life, but we do know that he was born in 1962 in the Algiers area. And this is where like all of this took place. You know, most of the women were found in the Algiers area. And he joined the New Orleans Police Department in February of 1980. Mm. Is he white or black? He is of the root of the negro. Wow, so he's a black police officer. <laughs> if this has any... No, I'm not even going to draw those lines. Anyway, this makes me sick, disgusting, outright, mm-hmm. unjust. I'm mm-hmm. pissed. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it, it gets worse, sister. So the first red flag to me was like going immediately into the police force as as soon as you're a- able to. Because I'm like, okay, it seems like you already know that if you're within the justice system, you can give it away with fucked up shit. So that's red flag number one. Another red flag is that Victor's main area of patrol were the city's red light districts. So these are areas known for like the seedier things that go on, a lot of illegal activity, drug addicts, pimps, sex workers, mm. all that type of shit. So that was his stomping ground for a long time. Okay. Red flag number three. Victor was known within the police department to be a corrupt motherfucker as early as 1990. Aw. Mm-hmm. He and a few other accomplices within the department were basically strong-arming pimps and drug dealers in the area. So I guess they were like, pay us and we won't arrest you. Oh, my God. So when... so Okay, 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 okay. Back up. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the victim that survived. She mm-hmm. gave a drawing or she gave a description. Does this description look like Victor? Oh, we're going to get to it right now. So this is the sketch that the victim provided of who she thought was responsible for attacking her. Mm-hmm. You see it. You mm-hmm. see it. This is Victor Gaunt. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's giving. I mean, the eyes, the the mouth. Yeah, how slanted the eyes are. Absolutely. Even the mustache a bit is given that. The hair on top's not giving that, but we'll just... Well, maybe, you know, time goes... Because this is obviously an older picture of him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he maybe did have hair back Mm -hmm. then. Wow. Red flag number four. Police found that Victor previously dated Sharon Robinson who was one of the last victims found, and that the two even lived together for a time. And she was the one that was found dead with Karen, the white woman. Yeah. hmm And police suspected Victor of being responsible for both murders. Well, duh. I mean, I, yeah. they were literally right next to each other, and they were both killed the same way. Mm-hmm. But before that even happened, on December 9th, 1994, Sharon had reported Victor to the police, saying that he'd beaten her. So he punched her in the face and broke her nose. But he denied it and claimed that he just pushed her and she broke her nose on a chair. Okay, but either way, you put your hands on her. So what was done? Krista, I will tell you right now, if somebody puts their hands on me, I'm... It's just not worth it. Like, I need more women to be like, oh, hell no. You know, let's make 2023 a oh, hell no year. (laughs) Like, all this shit needs to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. They do it because they think they can. You know what I'm saying? Show them that they fucking can. And stop and stop trying to, like, judge yourself and what your actions were. You right. didn't put your hands on somebody. And if you did, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. Because people knock say, you clean out. Cool it. Yeah, cool it. Abuse is abuse. Doesn't abuse matter who's abuse, So stop that. But yeah, it's like, no, no longer should we accept people putting their hands on us. People talking down to us. No longer. 2023, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. So, Sharon's own children, along with the emergency room doctor, contradicted this claim and said that the injury had for sure come from a beating. Like, Mm. the children said, I've seen him, you know, beat on my mom multiple times. This is what happened. Wow. In early 1995, a disciplinary hearing was held to determine if Victor's, like, what Victor's punishment would be for this assault. But before Sharon could even testify on her behalf, she was found dead on May 1st, 1995. And so you don't think mm. that mm. 
not only when she died, oh, how she died could be linked to everybody and their mother that has died the same way. Like, wh what was the process? Was Victor immediately arrested? What went down? Girl, okay, so we're going to get to all that. But one thing I do want to say is, in my head, I was like, I don't know if he's responsible for all of these murders. Because remember, he is a police officer. He knows all of these other murders are happening. He knows the MO for all of these murders. He may have tried to do a copycat type of thing. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Because remember, Sharon was the only one that drowned at all. Mm -hmm. everybody else was fully dead before they put they were put in the water. So that, I feel like, is like an inkling like, hey, copycat killer kind of fucked up. And that's Ooh. why I think Victor was trying to do. Or it could be he was clearly emotionally tied up with Sharon. That was the one that, you know, he lived with. So maybe he did make a mistake out of emotional rage. Mm -hmm. It could be that. I mean, but you would think that he would just, you know, make sure she was dead if he hated her so much. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, okay, so according to people that knew Karen and Sharon, Victor had a vendetta against Sharon's friend Karen and always spoke negatively about her. Mm -hmm. So investigators believed, you know, it wouldn't be too crazy for him to have killed both women. And then plus, Karen knows that Sharon's going through what she's going through with Victor. Karen could have easily been like, Victor did it, so he probably just, you know, two birds, one stone. Right. That part. So they took a sample of his DNA to compare it to a piece of chewing tobacco that was found near both women's bodies. But the results came back inconclusive and no charges were filed against Victor. This is outrageous. Mm -hmm. You took one chewing tobacco and you compared it with his and because it was inconclusive, not that it was negative, these, are, these two are not alike, but because we don't know it was inconclusive. Yeah. You dropped yeah. the charges? I'm confused. If they're going based off of circumstantial, because everything else is kind of circumstantial, right? Like, oh, she died while she's when she's supposed to be testifying against him. We can't prove it, but it's a circumstantial type of incident. And I feel like, especially since he is a man in blue already, you know, a part of the gang, they're going to cover his ass a little more. And that's the very thing that makes me upset because it's like I've seen people wipe their tails longer than the amount mm -hmm. of time it took for them to drop charges against him. Why couldn't you have just, okay, this did not work. Let's move forward with something else. Let's leave this case open because we don't know fully, you know, who did it yet. Yeah. I mean, they the case is open. They're not closing it. And they never brought charges up against him. So they didn't have any charges to drop. They were just looking at him as a suspect. And then once that tobacco too, chew mm -hmm. came back inconclusive, they were no longer looking at him as a suspect. They had nothing else to go on. Nothing else to go on. And it took them a full fucking year and some change to even fire his ass from the force. So he was still working like a desk job until August of 1998 when she was killed in May of 1995. Honestly. Unbelievable. This is just disgusting. And it just shows yeah. it's an institution problem. Whether you black, white, purple, you can still be dirty. Oh, yeah. And don't get it twisted. The only people that benefit from innocent until proven guilty are the fucking cops. Because trust and believe they feel like you did it uh, a civilian bitch they're gonna treat you like it but with cops they give every benefit of the fucking doubt that's dirt i bro. hate this system yeah hate it fucking hate it it was also noted that victor was a boxer in his younger years and a weightlifter and he continued to work out a lot so he had a big frame so the description that the victim brenda gave remember she survived matched victor's appearance pretty well we already took a look at those pictures it's giving to me mm -hmm. 
So we know this wasn't enough to actually arrest the man, and so they didn't. And during the press conference, they made it clear that victim Victor was only a suspect in Sharon's and Karen's murders, and that they did not have any evidence connecting him to the other two dozen murders. So they were still looking for help solving those. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in a crazy, unexpected twist, there would be a man who referred to himself as Clay that would seemingly confess to being responsible for at least 12 of the murders and would do all of this live on the Howard Stern show. Mm-hmm. Yes, this man called into the Howard Stern show on August 13th, 1997 and shared some details about at least 12 cases and even shared a little info about himself. So I have a little clip that I'm going to share with you guys. Um, The full recording is like 17 minutes. If you want to look it up, I'll include the link in the description. But it's like it's not really giving because as you'll hear very quickly, he's fucking off base. So here we go. I got a guy on the phone who claims he's been killing prostitutes and he's wondering why he's doing it. So maybe uh, he he thinks I have an answer. Is this Ed? Ed? No, this isn't Ed. Hmm. You haven't killed any prostitutes? No, I never said my name was Ed. Oh. Oh. Sorry. That's okay. What's your, what name do you use? You can call me Clay. Clay? Clay? Yes, Clay. Okay, Clay, so what happened? How many prostitutes have you killed? Twelve. And you're wondering why you do it? I have a pretty good idea. Why? Did your mom beat you? Did your mom spank you? Did, uh... Was your mom a prostitute? No. Actually, nothing like that. What is it, then? I think I just do it for the sense of the power. All right. Do you have sex with them first? Yeah, and... And then what, you strangle them? One. How else did you kill them? Well, a few times, actually, most times with a hammer. Hmm. And where do you do this primarily? Uh, I've done it twice in the parking garage, and then the rest of the time's on the side of the road. And uh, you're from the New Orleans area? Yeah. Hmm. And how, I mean, what are you, you beat them to death with a hammer? That usually only takes once, doesn't it? Dude, you got to have a lot of anger in you. Yeah. So it's very clear that he is not talking about the same thing we're talking about. And right after the part where I cut it off, he's like, is this Howard Stern? And then he's like, yeah, this is Howard. And the guy's like, oh, I didn't know this was Howard. So you can tell he's like fangirling. And it feels like he's just fucking wasting everybody's time, honestly. Like he has no details, no descriptive story of what was done. I've done it twice before, talking about strangling when most of these women were strangled. You don't know what you're talking about next. Goodbye. That's what I'm saying. It was definitely a waste of time. But the FBI still followed up. They went to Howard Stern's studio and took the footage to try and like locate the caller but as time went on investigators found that honestly howard sometimes faked those calls to get his viewers up how like a little fucking weird ass freakazoid piece of shit howard's a weirdo to me like he's always been a weirdo he's into some some off the wall stuff it's just (laughs) tragic what people will do for clout yeah really really sad so just wasted all of our times hopefully he was not you know, telling the truth about anything that he was doing. And the, nothing really came of those claims. Mm-hmm. So this lead didn't really take them anywhere. But the task force did identify another possible suspect named Russell Elwood. He was an Ohio native, but, no, but moved to New Orleans in 1968 after he graduated high school. And for the next 30 years, Russell was basically you know, living on the street, 
kind of, you know, had a shitty life because of his crippling drug addiction, I could never really hold down a job. Okay. Mm-hmm. He worked as a photographer sometimes and even a cab driver. So when I found out that he was a cab driver, I was like, that's the perfect situation to get people in his car, even if he's just, you know, picking up prostitutes. They're like, oh, he's a cab driver. Like, you know, he what could really happen? I feel like that would kind of let your guard down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, and oh, would- he's just taking a break, wants a quickie. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's not or he can drive me to the place I need to go. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense why some of the women were found an hour away from the Lake Ponte area or even three to four hours because he was driving, you know, he was working. Mm. And maybe that's just, he ended up out there. He was considered to be kind of a scammer. Um, He always was trying to like promote a get rich quick scheme, but it always fell through. And he was also arrested several times from 1968 to 1998. One of those police encounters was in 1994 near the scene where Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack's bodies were found. And police found him in his car, half naked, jacking off. Oh. Mm-hmm. And nobody was in the car with him? No, he was in there by himself, but just doing something like that puts a bad taste in your mouth. And then with him being so close to where the women were found. Ew. Yeah. Imagine, Chris. Imagine happening upon that guy. I'm not getting in his cat. Absolutely not. He looks like a gargoyle. Ugh. Yeah, it's not giving in any way, shape, or form. So this is... Kind of the um, instance of where that the white man comes up or when the witnesses say Mm -hmm. they saw such and such get into a car with a white man. Here we have one. Yes, we do. When police, you know, approached him, his excuse for why he was stopped right there. And remember, this is kind of like a isolated area. Why would a random car be out there and out of all places where two dead women were found and he's jacking off? Mm -hmm. So when they approached him, he was like, oh, I stopped my car over here because I needed to change the oil, you know, and fix my brake pads. And he was like, go ahead and search my car. Do whatever you want. So when police searched the car, they found nothing to help him do these things. So no equipment, no flashlight, nothing. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they put his sketchy ass in the car and brought him in for questioning. Period. But nothing came of it. Of course not, Kristen. Of course not. Because if you deny, 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 you could probably get away with it. Police usually have fucking nothing to go on. And they usually, like, really depend on you to rat on yourself. Yep. Three years later, members of the task force went to question Grosso again, who was living in Florida with his dad at the time. And during these sessions, he admitted to having an affinity for black sex, sex workers back in the day. And he even admitted that he came across over a hundred black sex workers. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he also admitted to his frequent use of heroin, crack, and LSD. Well, there you go. Black sex workers, and he has affinity for drugs. Mm-hmm. Russell even claimed he had dreams that he was questioned about a string of murders and admitted that he was familiar with just about every area that the victims' bodies were found in, but never admitted to killing them i know all of this information but no it wasn't me like the only the only way he could have gotten gotten away with that statement was the fact that he was doing drugs or he did do drugs and they were probably just looking at him like this is like a ex-crackhead who probably still stores a little crack in his day oh yeah he there's no x in it i think he was definitely still on that stuff look at him good lord so investigators completed their questioning and russell was back on the street because they had nothing to hold them with. 
But it wasn't for long, because on August 4th, 1997, Russell was arrested for buying cocaine from an undercover cop and was sentenced to 85 years, sorry, 85 days in jail for that crime. I was about to say, geez, 85 years. We wish, we wish. Right. It's like, okay, I'm cool now. They don't have to arrest him for these murders. He's good. He's in jail. I know. I know. But, you know, closure for the family is all that jazz. While he was in jail, Russell said that Russell said that his cellmate actually admitted to being responsible for the murders. So, mind you, he's in jail in Florida and a random man that he never met before just happened to tell him that he was responsible for all of this in New Orleans. Okay. Okay. Like, Russell, shut up before you literally not get away with this. Just shut up. Just stop fucking talking. But I want him to keep talking. So, (laughs) yeah, dig yourself in a hole. Mm -hmm. But in that time, there were multiple inmates that contacted the county prosecutor's office claiming that Russell described the murders in detail to them. Mind you, this is multiple people claiming this. He said that he would drive the women to the outer limits of the city, offer them a lot of drugs to which, you know, they'd say yes and usually either overdose on them or come close to it. And then Russell would strangle them to death and dump their bodies. This is what Russell was telling people he was doing. Wow. He said he was responsible for over 60 murders in New Orleans. So he was bragging, y'all. This crackhead Mm -hmm. fiend is out here and was able to commit this many murders. Yeah, he was. And the only reason he was able to is because of the cracked up justice system that lies within the U.S. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They... Then the I know how people say, you know, America's the greatest country on the world. And it's like, bitch, if it's the greatest country in the world, the world sucks. How about that? So after his release from prison, investigators hunted Russell down again, who was now living with his brother, working a high paying job. I'm so fucking pissed. And he denied everything. He said, yeah, I bragged about killing a black girl, but it was my mental health, my mental illness caused me to you know brag about something that i didn't do i hate i hate the people that use mental illness as an excuse to be just fucked up yeah of course but they're able to do it because of the people who have mental issues who are actually messed up dickheads i mean you i don't feel like mental health is an exact science you know people can pretend to have symptoms and there's not really a way that you can tell the difference necessarily and then even with evaluations those are different depending on what doctor you use. Yeah. So it's just a fucking mess. He didn't really admit to much, but he did, however, eventually admit to killing Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack. Did he? But since, oh yeah, girl. But since that confession wasn't recorded, he later recanted the statement and said, I never said that. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just so over this entire case at this point. I told you, it's going to piss you off. It's going to piss you off. And because of this, he was released in January of 1998 like nothing happened. But he wasn't released for long because he was arrested again for speeding on January 16th. He was supposed to show up in court, but he didn't. So they arrested him and he was ordered to spend 120 more days in jail. And while he was in jail on these charges, the contempt of court charge, Investigators finally charged him with the murder of Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack on March 4th, 1998. Okay. Now we're cooking with gas. Finally. So the trial began on June 8th, 1999 in Lafayette, Louisiana. 
A lot of Russell's old cellmates testified against him. Some former sex workers testified as well. One woman named Diane Gilliam testified that Russell assaulted, beat, and strangled her until she was unconscious. And she said she didn't report this because she was a sex worker at the time and felt like she was going to get in trouble herself. And that's unfortunate, but that's the story of a lot of sex workers who go through it. Absolutely. There were at least four more women that testified at the trial with identical accounts of their run-ins with Russell. And they also said they didn't report it because they were afraid that they would be villainized instead of his ass. Mm -hmm. Which is such a fair statement because, look, this is a white man against the word of a lot of black women in the 90s. Come on. And they're sex workers. They're already doing illegal stuff. So why Mm -hmm. wouldn't they just turn around and slap cuffs on them instead? Yeah, the and I'm sure the defense tried to eat them alive and claim they were lying anyway. So they just, I'm glad that they were brave enough to even speak against this man at trial. Yeah, especially for only two victims out of the 20-something he could have been a part of killing. Correct. Cheryl Lewis was even seen with Russell just three days before she died by multiple people. Russell's defense attorneys claimed that Russell wasn't even in New Orleans at the time of the murders. He was in Ohio visiting family. Like, okay, sir. So the one thing that's kind of iffy about this case is that apparently Russell was a type to keep a lot of records. He would keep receipts to everything, everywhere he went, all that type of stuff. And apparently he provided proof that he was indeed in Ohio at the time of the murders. However, his attorneys demanded or they filed a motion that one of the head investigators should undergo a polygraph test because apparently one of the deputies actually snitched on Sue Rushing. She was the head saying that she purposefully got rid of receipt evidence that would have shown Russell was, in fact, in Ohio at the time of these two murders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because, you know, one of her own men or somebody involved in the case said, hello, she did this. The motion was granted and she took the polygraph test, but the polygraph test results were deemed inconclusive. So. So what happened then? It kind of put a little bit of doubt in people's heads Mm -hmm. in regards to him being responsible for Dolores and Cheryl. So the murder charge for Dolores Mack was eventually dropped, but Russell Elwood was found guilty of murdering Cheryl Lewis and was sentenced to life without parole on August 17th. 1999 for the love of god finally like this was the (laughs) this was the most up and down all around town case with the same crusty looking toad of a man Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i feel like i could have done a better job investigating are you joking kayla all you had to do was record the couple of times that he snitched on himself you know that could have helped that could have been something so when he recanted you well we got this you know like yeah there's been so many moments that the justice system police whoever has dropped the ball and even when russell's cracked out head told on himself you still couldn't Mm -hmm. catch him that's honestly i have no other word but that's honestly corny (laughs) i feel like i feel like honestly they just weren't trying it just shows a lack of give a fuck and we see it today in 2023 still Almost every day, they just don't care. They're lazy and they protect their own. And that's just either, you know, the boys in blue or the root of the caucus. So it's just, (laughs) it's hard to win in this justice system. Oh, well, thank God for social media nowadays. 
to where you can I like know, right? see these type of things and be disgusted and post it and share it with people to where it's worldwide news. Because back yeah. then, what, what did those women really have? Who was vouching no, for them? They didn't have anyone. Exactly. They had nobody speaking up for them. And, you know, it wasn't until a white woman was killed that it, the police department even said anything to the public. Just evil. Just evil. So as of February 1st, 2023, which is today, as of us recording this episode, no other suspects or convictions have come of these murders. Russell Elwood is still the primary suspect in many of them, but no charges have ever been filed against him. And Victor Grant was never charged with the murders of Karen and Sharon. And he left the force when he was fired. He moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I think he still lives today, free as a fucking bird. And authorities claim that he's still a suspect. So, Ooh, he's so scared. Right. <laughs> you're, you, you sent a shutter up his bone. He, you're coming for him. The dude's living his best life in ATL. Are you kidding? This is Kristen. Oh, my God. I'm ready to literally bust out all these windows. Like, I don't even so care guys- that Russell was sent to jail. Yay, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, the only person I'm happy for is Sherelle. Cheryl. Cheryl. Because finally, she was actually laid to rest with the idea of, okay, this is her killer. But what about everybody else? Yeah, yeah. What about their families? What about the unidentified women and the unidentified male that was found? You know, these. this is stuff that I don't, I, people forget about. People don't even know about. You know what I'm saying? And... Yeah. So if you guys have any information that could lead to solving these murders or even identifying the unnamed victims, please contact us. Yes, us. Not the fucking, I'm not going to give you a number to call because I doubt they're going to even respond to you. Let's be real. So what I will do is I will get this information to a private investigator that might actually look into what you're saying. Period. Because it's important enough and we have a network of people that we can work with in regards to that so yes so let's do that if anybody knows anything let's let's be the representation that these women should have had from day one absolutely and you guys know i hate unsolved cases i hate covering them but they're very important because if we're not talking about it who the fuck else is the police like come on and to be fair yeah most police whatever but also they have current cases that are happening right now they're not going to be so Mm -hmm. forward on looking backwards to see the things that they did not solve so i'm not you know yeah we don't always agree with the police and their methods and their timelines of doing things we rarely agree with them but let's also be better there's only so much they can do right you know there's uh, so many resources because even if we we have the technology to retest some of the bones that were found for these jane does you know and maybe they're one of their relatives is in the system by this time but that all of that stuff costs money right so we just got to come together use our network and try to get justice for these women yes and that's our case that's our case for this week Woo! what did you think are you as pissed as I, I am? <laughs> I hated it. I don't like uh, unsolved cases, and to know that these this many women this many women lost their lives and have no semblance of justice is, I mean, stuff that can keep you up at night. You know, imagine if it was one of your family members. So horrifying. Yeah, it sucks. Yep. Yep. But thank you guys so much for listening. Let us know what you thought about this case. Also, I have to. 
unfortunately asked you guys to please stop sending me listener requested cases until I announce that I can start taking them again. There's just way too many I am losing track of and I feel bad that I have so many that I may not even be able to cover because there's so many. So please hold off on those. I'm sorry to say that, but I need a second. Period. When we can take Mm -hmm. more, we will let you know. Thank you so much for even sending them our way. We appreciate you. 100%. And get your tickets for the tour as soon as possible. Klarna can help you if it's a money thing. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to seeing you guys this April and May. Period. All right. Now, before we go, as always, be safe, protect your peace, and protect your space. So we don't have to cover your case, friend. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can stream all of our episodes on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Facebook. It's the best way to help the show grow, and it's completely free. For bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. And for more information about the show, you can visit BlackTrueCrime.com. See you next time.